as Melinda prepares to read the scripture this morning, see if you can find in the midst of these two verses out of Corinthians. And again, we're not putting them on the screen in this service, but there are Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along in your Bible. Please feel free to do that. Corinthians, these are two sections, Paul's letters to a church that was looking for direction. See if you can find the answers to direction as Melinda reads this morning. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, We entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Holy wisdom, holy word. I don't normally have something to pass around during, and I'm not passing Sydney. Um, Sydney's scared enough already. But I do have two pictures that I'd like to pass around in the congregation as we look at our mission statement. And again, I'm going to invite you to take your bulletins out and turn them to the front. This first one, some of you have seen, many of you have seen, is a picture of the Aldersgate Chapel in England. This is what we're named after. And so I'm going to begin this in the choir and just ask that you go ahead and Pass it around so that you can see the chapel. It doesn't even look like a church. It looks like a house. This is a copy of one page out of thousands of pages of Wesley's journals. And the date that he wrote this was May 24th, 1738. And this is the date where he visited that chapel and something happened. So enjoy. Take some time and take a look at that and you'll find some words. I want to begin, though, not talking about the mission statement, but talking about more what I talked about with the kids. And this this goes back a number of years, back to about 1992, and I was coaching track at Woodenville High School. We had 224 athletes during that year, many of them very, very elite, phenomenal athletes in this time. 224 kids in a track program. One of the things that we knew about this group was that there was, as I said, some really gifted athletes, and that this was the first time that we really had the possibility of not only winning district, but winning state. 
But how do you take 225 kids, many of whom don't know each other, and get them going in the same direction? And that was one of the, the goals of the nine coaches, was figuring out how do you get this kind of size group moving in the right direction? Well, we talked about winning district. We talked about winning state. And that became one of the goals. We identified those kids in that program who were the natural leaders. Not all of them were the elite athletes, but many of them were truly natural leaders in the midst of this. And they came up with an idea about a month in, about a week or two before our first meet. They gathered the whole team together, and they kind of began to figure out what they could do at every meet that would help them understand how united they were as a team. Every week they would choose one athlete who put in phenomenal effort that week, who accomplished a a personal record, a PR, if you will. And again, not the most elite who often got this privilege, but someone on the team that just showed really incredible effort the week before. And what they would do is I got to be the coach, and you've seen this in football games particularly, where somebody is in the middle and the whole team is gathered around and that person's job is to kind of pump them up as you prepare for the meet. So I got to be that coach every week. Part of my role was motivation and so and visualization. And so I, I gathered them together. As soon as I was done and we all put the hands in and said, go Falcons and that kind of thing, I would step out of the circle and that one chosen figure, that one chosen athlete would then begin to line them up. And what they would do is they would begin in this tight group with that one person now in the middle and they would clap in rhythm. 225 225 athletes clapping in rhythm. Can you imagine the sound around a track? Then they would begin to descend or go onto the track clapping together in that rhythm, never losing that beat, and they would begin one full lap, lined up all the way around the track, facing inwardly, clapping together. And on cue, from that one chosen athlete, they would nod, go Falcons, yelling as loud as they could. You want to talk about intimidation. You should see, I mean, I I still have this picture of all the other teams, even if it was a district meet or a state meet, wherever it was, of all the other teams wide-eyed and having no idea what to do with this amount of athletes all doing this together, and then loud, it would get louder, and then that yell at the end. We won a lot that year. But I remember the last race at Kinko, the Kinko District Championship. And we were neck and neck with Lake Washington on that day. And it came down, which every great sporting event should, comes down to the last race with the last group. And the last race happens to be the 4 by 400 So you got four athletes all running one loop around the track. 4 by 4 well, these guys, and we had six on this team of four. I know it's four, but, but if one goes down, you've got to have somebody ready to step in immediately. These six athletes had trained all year. They knew that their focus was to win that race. They had already broken the school record that had stood for, for a long time. 
And what they wanted to do was break the district record, and they really wanted to break the state record. If you've ever watched track and you know the 4x400, there's a lot that can go wrong. Because you've got four athletes, each one, I mean, carrying a baton around. Then you've got to pass it off as you're both running. Pass it off, the next one takes it, runs the lap. Next one passes it off, the next one receives it, runs around, passes off. Even in the Olympics, you see batons dropped all the time. Wow, these guys were ready. And so, there they are ready to go, each in their spot, knowing their order, which leg they're going to run, ready to go. The two subs standing there by the blocks, although they can't be on the track. But the other thing that had happened is the whole team had gathered all the way around the track. Again, it's, it's illegal for you to stand right there on the track. So this team decided they were going to kind of push the limits, and what they did is took two very small steps backwards. They were right there. So there he is on the starting blocks. They knew what their mission was. They knew what they wanted to accomplish. Crystal clear. On your mark. Sit. Boom. Now I'll come back to that in just a second. <laughs> Aldersgate, a United Methodist Church growing in faith, love, and service. That is our mission statement. And again, to remind us that a mission statement is the umbrella under which everything in that church or in that organization falls. It is the absolute frame within which everything has to occur. If there's anything in the church that doesn't fit that mission statement, guess what needs to happen? Either it has to change to fit the statement or it disappears. That's how powerful a mission statement is. But what I want to do is I want to look at, at, at each piece of this mission statement just briefly this morning. Let's begin with Aldersgate. The picture is now kind of working its way around. And you notice that Aldersgate just doesn't look like much, that little chapel. But let's remember that in this place in England where Aldersgate sat, it was a neighborhood, if you will, and the, there was literally a gate, and I've explained this before, a large gate that wasn't designed to keep people out, necessarily. It was designed to be shut and keep people in. That was so interesting in that time. This was a section of England where they wanted to contain a population. So interesting that churches are named after this, to me. And yet, if you look over history, often that's how, what churches become, is this kind of self-contained, self-focused place that's kind of protective of anybody from the outside, right? And we're going to stay in this, and we're going to be protected, and that's what we're going to be. But what was so interesting is that night, on May 24, 1738, John Wesley, our founder, who had been an absolute failure in ministry, do you get that? He was an absolute failure in ministry. He had come back from a failure in Georgia where he got himself into some serious trouble. He knew he was going to go there and he was going to find lots of converts and change the Indians and do all these wonderful things and absolutely failed. And he walks into this chapel, Aldersgate Chapel on this evening, to just go to a simple little Bible study. 
On this night, they were studying Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans. And as he sat there in the back of the room, in the very back of the room, not wanting to be noticed, he heard these words, and suddenly, this overwhelming feeling occurred in him. And what he wrote in the journal was, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I knew that I was beloved of God. I knew that there was a God of grace. And I knew that I was one of those who was filled with that grace. My heart was strangely warmed. That event turned his life around. And from there, what he did is he completely changed the way that he did ministry. First of all, he knew that he could not do it alone and realized that most of his life had been defined by him trying to do everything alone. All the methods that he used were useless without this one element, and that was God in his life. That God had to become the power, that God had to become the source of strength, that God had to be the focus, not John, but God. And that he was moved by the Holy Spirit not to be a part of Aldersgate, self-contained, but to be a part of the greater church that would go out into the communities and preach where no one had preached before. He would go to the coal mines just outside of the coal mines as they were coming out of the darkness of the mines and he would offer them hope and encouragement and love and grace. He would go into the prisons and these were not prisons like our prisons. He would go to the pauper prisons where people couldn't pay their bills and so what would they do but throw them in jail including small children. And every time he went to the pauper's prison, he didn't just go to bring some good news message. What he did was he brought food and water and sustenance and hope to those places. He would go and find a stump in the middle of town and stand up there and preach. And there was a passion in him that no one had seen before, all born out of a small chapel in Aldersgate, and one brief moment in time where his heart was strangely warmed. We are named not only after that chapel, we are named after that event. That our role is to take that on within ourselves, allow our hearts to be strangely warmed, knowing that it can't be contained in this place, but has to go out. Aldersgate. Aldersgate. So every time we see that name, we need to be reminded. And we have the signs to remind us. A united Methodist church. Gosh, I don't know how many times I've heard the, this, this, this wonderment about being United Methodist. We know that United Methodists you know, the twist on United Methodists, particularly over the last 20 or 30 years, has been maybe it should be called Untied Methodists. <laughs> Just switch those two little letters and there you've got it. Because it's as though we don't know where we're going as a denomination. But something's happening. Something's happening in the denomination today. And that is we're rediscovering a direction and a mission. 
We are disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, and that is now the mission statement for the greater United Methodist Church. But there are a number of things that set us apart as a denomination, as a self-identified group of United Methodists. And I want to go back briefly to Wesley again. Wesley brought some things to us that are overwhelming in their simplicity and in their beauty. First, on that night where his heart was strangely warmed, he realized something about grace. And he realized that he was not walking this journey alone. That there are three kinds of grace that are with us at all times and have potential in our lives at every moment of our life. That first is that grace that goes before us, that grace of God, that power of God, the power of the source of creation who is continually trying to woo us. And I love that word. Woo us into a deeper understanding of that love and that grace. Always there, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what, God is there wooing us into a deeper relationship, into a deeper understanding that we are created for purpose. But then there comes a moment within that wooing where we make a decision. And by the way, the wooing is called prevenient grace, the grace that goes before But there is a moment in our lives where we decide this is the day, this is the time that I'm going to follow this and become a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that moment in time is justifying grace, justified that this is the direction I'm going to go. But then it even goes deeper that there is by the power of this God that we follow, that we believe in, the opportunity to continually go deeper in our faith and our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And friends, Wednesday is a time of delineation where we create time within a year to take that deeper. That is what Lent is about. But Wesley didn't stop there. But those that, that understanding of grace is a United Methodist understanding. But it doesn't stop there. One of his biographers, Albert Outler, coined a a, a word called quadrilateral. Big word, but simple meaning. There are four elements that Wesley believed that all of us needed to understand. Nothing more important in our lives than understanding Scripture. Nothing more important than spending time in Scripture to gain a deeper understanding of that. That's the foundation for everything. But there are three other things. First is tradition. And by tradition, I don't, I'm not talking about how we worship in this service, traditional service. Tradition means it goes back to the early church. And what were the traditions that established the early church? And, and I've got to tell you something. One of the traditions, what grew the early church more rapidly than anything else, you, you know what that was? It wasn't going out and standing on a street corner and being evangelical in your preaching. No matter how dynamic that might have been, that's not what this was. It was going into the community, knowing the community well enough to find those places where the people were in severe need and bringing them in and helping them by providing them a place to live, food to eat, skills that would take them deeper. That's tradition. And so we look at that as the tradition piece. Experience is the second that we all have different experiences in as we seek to follow. 
But the beauty, the strength is that what we do is we share those experiences with each other. Then we know our stories intersect in those experiences. But the third, and I love this about Wesley, is he never felt like you should check your brain at the door. That reason was a very significant part of this. And it was the combination of those four elements, Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason, that really help us to go deeper in faith. You know what? It's not about necessarily being a part of a denomination, but it is understanding what that signifies and represents when we add that to our mission statement. These are all elements, but there's one more that I want to bring as we look at the United Methodist piece of this. I don't know, even the Wesleyan denominations, a denomination that is more interconnected than us, than United Methodists. There is a connection with every pastor who is United Methodist and a covenant that they make with each other in love and grace. It's part of what I said when I was ordained that I would be in covenant with all of those others who are ordained. I may vehemently disagree with them. And believe me, I do on occasion. At least some. But there's also an interconnectedness of all of the churches that are United Methodist. And we pay money into this large pool and we call them apportionments. And those apportionments allow us to do work in the world that no other denomination can possibly do. We are exponentially more powerful because of that and can do so much more in the world because of that connection. Aldersgate, a United Methodist church. And that term is also shifting today. You've heard the reports and you've seen some of the things of, I mean, even the hate mail that comes as soon as everybody knows that you go to church. I think for many in the world, church has become a place where they assume that it's all about judgment. It's all about judgment of, of, you know, just being angry all the time, looking at the Old Testament rather than the New. That's not us. And so there's a shift in the understanding of church and not even using that term as much anymore, but community of faith or Christian community rather than church. And we are a Christian community seeking to do two other things, and these are very Wesleyan. Then I'll move to the last three words, four words. One of the things that Wesley brought, and you've heard me as I talked about where he went in his ministry, is that there are two significant elements that need to be present in all of our lives. Wesley called them acts of piety. In other words, allowing ourselves to go deeper in faith. Looking at Scripture, using our brains to unravel and uh, and, and just get to know it that much more. Allow it to define who we are. Acts of piety, prayer, meditation, study. But those are useless, Wesley would say without acts of charity and service. The two have to intertwine and become locked in our lives. We are fulfilled as Christian people when we combine those two things. It's why I talked about the significance of service a couple weeks ago. 
Aldersgate, a united Methodist church and community of faith followers of Jesus. Growing. If you know anything about me at this point, you do know this, I hope. I could care less about numbers. I don't care how many people come to this church. I don't care if we grow in numbers. I have no interest in us becoming some mega church. It's not about that. So when the word growing comes into play there, it's not about growing in numbers. If that happens, praise God. But it's growing or deepening is the other term that we could insert there. Deepening in love and faith. Deepening in faith. I remember uh, a couple months ago, and, and, and it was Roger Ringles. I talked to Roger for a service about some of this, um, kind of in the midst of the sermon. said, I have no idea what that word means. What is faith? Well, faith is believing in something beyond ourselves, a power that is greater than us, and a power that we continue throughout our lives to be defined by and come to terms with and study and get to know. It's believing in something that we may not be able to see, but we certainly are able to feel if we open ourselves up to it. And so we're deepening in faith as we do Bible studies and other things together, as we serve together. We're deepening in love with each other in this church. And as new people come in, you know what? It's often why they stay. It's not about great sermons. It's not about that. It's about you and the way that you treat each other and love each other. But here's the rub. We can even get better at that as we create groups and create opportunities for us to get to know each other even more. But the love has to then extend beyond our doors and what we do here. And love those in the community that may not otherwise have it. And that's where the service piece comes in. Aldersgate, a united Methodist church growing in faith, love, and service. The gun went off. And there was Anthony, the first leg, and he came around and, and you could see the blazing speed by which he was running. It was incredible to watch him. I'd never seen him extend out like that. And our hearts always get a little more rapid when that first exchange happens. And But there he was. And you know what? The exchange was flawless. Stend it out, grab the baton, and off he went. And Tim was the second leg. But you know what? Lake Washington was right there. They were right there, stride for stride with our guys. So I worried that, that there was some nervousness going on. And then when Tim passed off to Al, he, he took that baton as well and took it, and it was perfect. But Lake Washington then moved, this third leg moved a little bit ahead. And so Woodenville was in second place. As they came around, and Kobe was the last one, Kobe Dilling, incredible athlete, world-class sprinter. But I knew that his legs were tight and was worried that he was going to pull either a hamstring or a quad on this day. We were just pumping fluid in him, hoping that that wouldn't happen. But they come around, Kobe takes off, 
and I saw him just gimp a little bit, but he took the baton and he took off. It was an absolute thing of beauty. As Kobe took off, and it was like his legs relaxed, and you could see it in his face. And he rounded that curve, and by by the first turn, after receiving the baton, he was two yards ahead. By the second turn, he was five. By the third turn, he was a good 20 yards in front and came in probably 30 yards in front. And I looked at the, at the clock, and they had shattered the district record, shattered the school record. But what was more amazing wasn't just the running of the guys. It was that that whole team was there supporting them, clapping in rhythm to every step. And you've heard me talk about another athlete, some of you, where that happened as well. But this was an incredible thing. United in focus, and we won districts. We won Kinko. Which meant for me that my head was shaved, my beard was shaved, and I had to wear a dress at the awards banquet. And that beautiful picture, which reminds me a little bit of my new Facebook picture, which happened right here with the little tiara and wand, is still in the trophy case at Woodenville High School. It is miraculous what can happen when we understand our focus and our direction. And particularly when we combine it with the power of God. Aldersgate, a united Methodist church growing in faith, love, and service is unstoppable. Aldersgate, a united Methodist church growing in faith, in love, and in service. Will you pray with me?